Cowboy Cast Rules with the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Gilmore. I am Nick Foley. How you doing, my man? Foley, I am just dandy. I've been looking yeah, forward to this all week. You what? I was looking forward to this all week, brother. Yeah, awesome. It's always nice to connect, connect with you. Sometimes, you know, with the weight, uh, and it, it always goes like that. Um, you know, you and I are buddies outside the show, obviously. Otherwise, why would you be doing the show? Uh, but sometimes you have weeks where you hit, shoot, you're able to shoot the breeze a little bit more. And then sometimes you go week without, like, I think the last time we actually talked, other than text, uh, was our last show, right? And, and that goes to uh, just to, to show. It's always a good thing. I always find that a good thing. Not because I don't like talking to you, because you know I do. But it's a good thing because it just suggests how busy people are. And I know you had a uh, very, when I say people, I mean you and I, and, and of course, uh, our producer extraordinaire. But I know you had a big week. you want to talk a little bit about that or you want to talk about what's in the news first? What do you want to do first? Uh, let's do the news. Let's talk yeah. about the news first. Lots of things happening. I don't know if you've heard this uh, recently, but uh, our um, the home workout industry um, had took a huge, huge boom here, uh, especially when COVID hit. And uh, one of the big players, Peloton, is in some trouble. Um, recently, they lost, I believe, you'll have to check the notes in here. Don't don't come at us either on Twitter if uh, if I'm not perfect on the numbers. But I believe they lost about $25 billion in market share, which was an extraordinary uh, high number. And uh, their CEO, John Foley, no relation, uh, <laughs> is, uh, is in some, uh, had to step down or, or they, they gassed him, they canned him. And uh, he, he put together what, what people are saying, insiders are saying, as one of the worst... Um, you know, save my job uh, routines uh, in the history of boardroom uh, drama. Yeah, basically, he pointed the finger at every single person in the company except for himself, uh, said that he doesn't like to do anything to do with financing as a CIO because he leaves it to the or CEO because he leaves it to the chief financial officer. But every once in a while, we'll dabble in it because figures that he needs to. And uh, they really took a hit in the market share. And, and now they're now they're they're not going to be. I mean, they're going to be fine. I mean, they they they've got you know lots of new users and they they generate good cash flow and good cash. They have good revenue, but um, there are people like big industry players like Lululemon and Nike and a lot of different uh, huge conglomerates that are in the the running here. They're circling the waters to see uh, what kind of you know what can they can get uh, Peloton for and what they can buy it for and and see if they can pull them out of this. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it, Nick. I know it's a lots of. I know you're a big stock guy. Uh, do you have shares in Peloton? No. And no. here's why. Because <clears throat> I always say a product doesn't make a company. A company makes products. Okay? So Peloton, obviously, it's starting to diversify. I think they're doing like a treadmill or whatever. Yep. <clears throat> but they started with this bike. And it exploded during COVID. So is that a good gauge of what Peloton is as a company because everyone's locked in the house and they had to exercise and gyms were closed. So to me, that's not a good gauge of a, a strong company or a company that I would personally invest my money in. Um, do I think it has legs? Of course it does. Um, you know, they've built it well. Uh, it's a good product. We have one. I'm looking at one right now. Um, it's a great concept. Like you said, it's going to get gobbled up by one of the big corporations uh, Lululemon, they own the mirror. I also have one of those to my right here. And again, it's a, it's a product, right? It's not a company and you can't build a company on one product. I've said it a thousand times and that's why these products, you know, they'll build up to, to a certain amount. They'll, they'll garner as much market share as they can based on what they do. And then they'll get bought up by by a big entity like Nike or 
Lululemon or whatever. But, uh, you know, in terms of if I invest, no, I don't. Well, the big, thing, the big thing about that too with Peloton, I mean, you know, they're not solvent, but um, they just, they did lay off 2,800 workers, right? So that's a substantial amount of people. And I think, you, I think you're right. I think when you have a product and, and it's not based around a, um, a company, there's going to be some problems uh, with that. And with the influx of people going back to gyms, right? That's a huge, uh, that's a huge one. Uh, foot traffic for gyms is now starting to, to come back, which is a good thing, which means we're, you know, we're on our way out of this, um, this, this pandemic, which is, you know, I still feel is going to be around for quite some time, but the restrictions and the limitations on, on how we do, uh, how we do life is something that uh, hopefully will alleviate a little bit and we'll be able to uh, opening things up again and, and uh, be able to see our smiling faces in person. You know what I mean? Cause I know you like to see me in person. So. Um, <laughs> What about, uh, did you hear about DoorDash? Uh, DoorDash had uh, in, in a couple of conglomerates, uh, bigger companies. I can't remember some of the other ones, but uh, they're offering uh, micro-sized uh, and uh, normal-sized loans for uh, tech startups. I want to get your insights on that, seeing as though uh, that's not exactly a revenue stream that one would equate DoorDash to have. No, like you had said, um, you know, when you think about DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever, well, maybe not so much Uber Eats, um, but, you know, DoorDash or these food delivery services, you think food, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, it just goes to show you how cash rich these companies become. And I was speaking with a mentor of mine and I was like, how do you justify these price earnings ratios on these tech companies? Because the value is so, 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 so big. Um versus what they earn and how how can you justify that on on a tech company where there's really nothing of uh there's no nothing tangible right like it's just a, a piece of software um and then a whole bunch of people who use it and that that builds a company and you know he's he's actually involved in many different tech companies and without going into a big long winded answer, um, you know, I think it makes complete sense um, because they're so, you know, they have the cash um, and they need to invest it in something. And I'm sure that they're not going to give it away cheap. And I'm sure they will have some type of a vested interest in these companies that uh, come out of it. Yeah, yeah, and just to, yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually think it's it's actually quite innovative, to be honest. And I think uh, you and I talk about diversifying portfolios all the time. I um, <laughs> I say that, but I'm pretty siloed when it comes to um, what I what I invest in, and it's only real estate. But you, I know, have uh, lots of uh, different uh, diversification when it comes to stocks and um, different types of um, classes of investments. Uh, one thing I will say back to Mir is uh, Lululemon bought that uh, company for five hundred million dollars. And uh, they're estimated um, half that for the profit in revenue. Sorry, half that. That's their estimation at the end of this year is um, is half that in revenue. So I don't know if they're going to take a loss. I don't know. Usually these companies have a good way of trying to turn things around, putting money into different places. But uh, just goes to show where everything was going a year and a half ago is not necessarily the same as to where things are now. And that's why I think that. Um, uh, these kind of podcasts, Nick, and 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 different things like that are, are, are important for our listeners to listen to because uh, business is changing quickly. I mean, you and I 
could have had this conversation a year and a half ago if we were doing this podcast. I know you were. Um, and talked about how big of a deal that deal was for Lululemon to buy Mir for $500 million, how good it was for Mir to sell a product and Lululemon to get in the uh, home-based gym industry, right? Well, a year and a half later, their projected revenue is half that and half what they bought Mir for. Business runs fast and that's a, that's a big thing. And I mean, without going into like the whole backstory of it and why big business does certain things, you have growth, okay? In a business, you always have either growth or you have cash flow. You don't have both. Okay. It's very, very rare that you have, you know, significant growth and cash flow. You have one or the other. Businesses need cash flow. Okay. You always need some type of cash flow in order to purchase assets because your wealth lies within the assets. So a Lululemon might buy the mirror for cash flow, right? Even if it's losing money, it's cash flow. And that's why you see a lot of these bigger corporations purchase companies like that. And sometimes it doesn't make sense looking from the outside in, but internally there's a reason why they're, they're making these moves and it's very strategic. And there's guys a lot smarter than me uh, making these decisions. But like I said, it's, it's a, it's a big game and, and it, it all comes back to what, to what we talk about. Wealth lies in your assets you know, in your real estate and what you own. Okay. And I don't know one rich guy or one super wealthy guy who doesn't own real estate. It just doesn't exist. I haven't met them. I'm sure they're out there, but um, you know, I'd, I'd love to learn from somebody who's done it a different way. Hey, let me ask you this then, Nick. Um, a couple of things too to mention with DoorDash before I do ask you this question. And this is, this will be written in your wheelhouse in a second, but DoorDash, uh, which is also really smart. Uh, they're providing these loans to restaurants that are on their apps as well. And so that that's smart, right? Let's, yeah, you you want to uh, you want to generate, you you know, you want to expand, you want to do things like that. It's better for DoorDash, right? And they're the biggest mm-hmm. conglomerate of the meal delivery service in the United States. Um, so, you know, basically they're, you know, they're they're cultivating their own environment by offering these loans to restaurants that are on their app. Uh, let me ask you this. Have you or will you or do you consider um, buying properties that um, – that generate good cash flow, but may not have a huge appreciation over five years, but you know, 20 years. Yeah, of course. But over like the first immediate future, maybe not appreciate as much. Here's what I mean. Uh, a property that is selling for, you know, 900,000 because of all these amazing, but they, they um, selling for around 900,000 because of all these amazing updates. And it has a, a cap rate of about 6%. Is that a deal or is that something that you would consider doing because the cash flow, because there's a four units that are generating, um, let's say, twenty six, three, four, about four thousand dollars in in revenue a month. Is that something that um, that you would consider because of cash flow and appreciation rate may not go through the roof? But because uh, two or three years, a nine hundred thousand dollar home may not be a million five; it may be nine seventy five. You know, so I just like to get your insights on that for people that are. So you're saying good cash flow, but good the appreciation. Yeah, good cash flow, but may not have a lot of appreciation, um, you know, because of all the, the the all the stuff that's done to it. They're they're selling it for for nine nine fifty, and uh, but it does generate you know good cash flow, six percent cap rate cap rate. I mean, ultimately, like I like I just said, your your wealth lies in your assets, okay? And cash flow is nice. Cash flow is necessary, but. It, it, 
making $500 or $1,000 a month, although that's great, <clears throat> that's not going to buy you your next rental property or that's not going to buy you your next um, multi-unit or whatever. What's going to buy you your next unit is the equity in that property. So if you don't see a significant increase or a significant pay down in the mortgage, right, then it doesn't make sense to me because I'm thinking of a growth strategy, right? So if it's making, let's say, and remember, remember everybody, you can structure a mortgage 25 years, 24 years, 23 years, 17 years. You can pick the amortization of that mortgage. It doesn't need, it's not 25, 20, 15. You can pick how many years. So if it's making an extra $1,000 a month, take that $1,000 a month and make your mortgage payment higher so that it pays it down faster, okay? So that you owe less and your equity is more, okay? So that in five years, if you when you're ready to go buy another one, well, you, you, you pull the equity out and you do that. Or maybe the market has shifted, okay? Maybe the market has con, come down a little bit. But it doesn't matter because you're paying the, the the principal down so quickly because you've increased your, your principal and interest payment, okay? So not only are you hedging yourself against uh, a market turn, downturn, but you're also creating equity so that you're ready to pounce on, on uh, the next opportunity. And typically, when you have cash flow... I mean, yes, you could take that and you could invest it in whatever stocks or or whatever, but chances are it's probably just going to get blown or mixed in with your day to day, um, you know, cash, and you won't even realize where it goes. Take the money, take the extra money, pay the fucking mortgage down, and create that equity, and then it's ready to to deploy. What if it, um, and another another option too, right? Is it might just be just sit on it. You know, sit on it until you're ready to look at it again. Um, mm -hmm. You see that with big conglomerates, right? Uh, like grocery stores, for example. I mean, most of all these grocery chains, you know that, McDonald's, things like that. They're, they're real estate businesses. And, you know, I, I heard a story of uh, a big company, Metro um, Grocery, and they bought they bought a, a, a big building. They had, uh, they had it, they've had it for 25 years. They bought it in Toronto. They just started to look at it now, re, redid the entire building, got it refinanced, and the building's worth four times the amount of money as it was 20 years ago. Right. So that same principle, although it may not be as um, as lucrative right away. Right. You could just sit on it, sit on it for 15 years, 10, 15 years or whatever. Uh, let it be paid down. Let it go like that. Then refinance it 10, 15 years from now. It may not be worth that much uh, in two or three years, but 10, 15 years from now, it's going to appreciate. Just like you said to everybody and all our listeners know that when you use that great model with the stock exchange. Right. Nick, right. Nick? Like it's yeah, it's going to go ebbs and flows and different things like that. But. Uh, chance there's a 100% chance that appreciate it's going to appreciate. That's just the way it is. Now, when people say 100%, don't tweet Nick because you're like, whoa, this didn't appreciate. We understand ebbs and flows of the market. We're talking about big concrete sections of time. Okay, I'm not talking about next month. My house may not be worth the same as it is this month. What I'm saying is, over a long experience of time or a long period of time, it's going to have that appreciation value. And that's another thing you can just do. You can just sit on it. You know, get a mortgage on it. Like you said, to pay it off. Be aggressive. I 100% agree with it. But don't worry about taking any equity out of it. Let it just be an asset that you have in your portfolio, right? And then and you're not. You got to take a long term. You got to take a long term, uh, you know, approach. Yeah. Because 
It's like working out. You see so many people, New Year's resolution, I'm going to work out, I'm going to lose 30 pounds, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. Two months later, where the fuck are they? They're in the bar smashing two pounds of fucking suicide wings and fucking six schooners of beer, right? So where's, where's this diet then? Same with investing. It's a consistent, long-term approach to be successful. It's not like you get all motivated watching this or watching Gary Vee or watching whatever, and then you decide, okay, I'm going to invest, and then you open a discount brokerage account under RBC and, and think that you're going to make a million dollars. You know, it's a very slow grow. It's a very strategic um you know, it's a very strategic uh, play and you just, you need to be smart and you need to have patience. Yeah. No, I like it. We've got to, uh, lots to unpack today. So let's get into the questions here. But before I do that, um, just let you know, I know you've got, there's some things that I want, we talked about off camera that we're going to discuss, um, as far as the deals that you made this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work that into the questions for the uh, question period, if that's okay with you. Sure. All right. Let's get started. That's a, you know, I really love that uh, transition, right? Yeah, our producer, I mean, she is something. All right. If there isn't any cash flow or barely breaking even, how do you continue to invest in other properties? Mm -hmm. well, we kind of did talk about that, but let's, let's, yeah, let's unpack this a little bit. So we did talk about this, but like you said, let's go a little deeper. 99.9% .9 of the times that I've bought a rental property, it makes no money ever. After the mortgage, the bills, property tax after everything is paid it makes no money okay it just breaks even so i was speaking with uh, a friend of mine online and they're looking at rental properties and they're like well you know this one only makes a thousand dollars a month i'm thinking in my head like that's huge a thousand dollars a month like fuck if I could dream of, like, I've got ones now that are, like, paid way down. They don't make $1,000 a month. Yeah. I've got, like, $5 million um, commercial properties that don't make that. Yeah. So <clears throat> the thing you got to look at is the long-term gain or the long-term uh, approach. Again, where is it going to be in five years? Okay? Where is it going to be in five years? How much equity is going to be in that property? And how are you going to deploy that equity? Because that $1,000 a month that it's making, that's not going to do dick all for buying another property. It's not going to give you the down payment. It's not going to allow you to save up anymore. But it is going to allow you to have that cash flow coming through, have the rents coming in, and be able to qualify for another property. It also shows the bank that you have the skill to manage, right? Because the bank, the five C's of credit. So the bank looks at different things. If you're already managing property, you already have a rental property, chances are they're not going to mind financing another one if you've been successful with this one. You haven't missed a payment, blah, blah, blah. Okay? So, again, if it's making no money at all, that's fine. Even if you've got to put a little bit of money into it. Don't miss a payment. Do not ever miss a payment. But understand that, that equity is being created and, and, and unlocked in that property as time goes by, okay? And that's not being paid by you. 
that's being paid by the tenant. So you're putting in work, you're managing it, the tenant is paying, and then that equity is being unlocked. Then you take that equity and you deploy it towards another property and another property and another property and so on. And that's how you grow. And that's called equity-based investing. And that's my wheelhouse. So what is, uh, what's the timeline for something like that then, Nick? Because this gentleman or this young lady or whoever decided to ask this question, this person, um, if there's any cash flow or barely breaking even, how do you continue to invest in properties? I, I, I do feel like a big misnomer for people that are into the uh, real estate industry. It's like they can buy a property on a Tuesday and then invest um, using that property's equity on a Wednesday. And it's just not the case. So what would you suggest a timeline for something like that is? And I mean, I know it's based on market, right? Yeah, it depends. It depends on the market. I mean, we've been really fortunate ever since like 2008. Things have really gone up, right? So somebody like I'm 35. I haven't really lived through or I haven't been an active player through a recession or through tough times. So I've only really seen good times, although I'm educated on the bad times so that I'm ready to pivot when they do come. Now, now that being said, you got to understand what's happening in the markets and where it's going when you make this investment. So when you're buying a rental property, where's the market going? Is it going to go down? Maybe. And if it does, that's okay. You know what I mean? Because you've got your down payment in. The bank makes you put 20% down for a reason. It's because they're hedging against a downturn in the market of 20%. Because if the market takes a shit and goes down 20%, the bank's still even. You're out, you're 20%, right? Because they're in first position on that mortgage. Now, this this is, in terms of time, you just really need to, you, you need to be strategic, okay? So you need to plan it out. You need to talk to people. You need to talk to other investors. Mm -hmm. And you just have to have a game plan. But it, it happens a lot quicker than you think. And when the market is appreciating and you're unlocking equity by rent being paid, that distance or that amount of equity that you have grows a lot quicker than you think. Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, and, and, and like you said, it's got, it's got a lot to do with when you're buying in the market. Um, but one of the things I will say is like, you don't have to necessarily like people like you preach, you know, you can be patient for sure, but always be calculated. Right. And I think that's where you're, you don't strike me as a patient investor, but you're a calculated investor. Right. And that's why, I mean, is that fair to say, Nick, I, I would say like, you mean, you're not going to wait five years until you have to refinance your mortgage or, or, you know, re up your mortgage, things like that. You know, you, you like to move things quicker and, and move things along. And, and you've proven that actually uh, this week, actually, you want to talk about uh, a deal that you just did. You had a couple um, things going on with your single families, I believe. Right. And then you rolled yeah, in. So tell a story about that. The reason why I'm saying this, the reason why you tell only what you want to tell, but my point is in saying this is that you're a calculated investor. And I think it's important for our audience to recognize you can move quickly as long as you're calculated. If you're not, and you don't understand the market, then what I would say to you is slow your roll, slow down yeah. and then learn because that's where I'm at. Like I was at a position where I'm just slow. Like I'm learning as much as I can. I learned from this podcast. I learned from coaching. I learned from books. I learned from doing. Slow down. Learn as much as you can. You've been in this game for a while. You're a calculated investor. You can move quicker. Talk about that deals today or this week. I mean, it was it was it, it was super gratifying because we had when I was purchasing these properties in question, like I was I borrowed money 
I borrowed more money and it was like, I strapped, there was a first mortgage, a second mortgage and a third mortgage on these properties. My lawyer thought that I was fucking nuts. Like I had so much registered against these properties. It was like, I don't know, two and a half or $3 million worth of, worth of uh, houses. But they're like, this is crazy. Like you have no equity. Okay. So fast forward to this week, I just rolled out of the mortgage, the second and the third. Now there's only one mortgage. And actually we pulled some uh, equity in the, you know, in and around a quarter million dollars and paid everything else out. So I knew this. Okay. Everybody around was like, Oh, you know, this is risky. Like what if this happens? What if this happens? It was also, here's a funny thing. It was student rentals at the start of fucking COVID-19. So no fucking bank or lender even wanted to touch these fucking things because they thought, you know, what's going to happen? Is it going to go to home-based learning or whatever? I was confident in what was happening. Went ahead with the purchase, rolled them out, made $225,000 or $250,000. Is that great? Yeah, it is great. Does it always work out that way? Well, not always that good, but you got to stick to your gut. And I, I'm patient when I need to be, but I'm aggressive as fuck. 99% of the time. So talk to me or talk to our, our listeners. I mean, I, I understand what it means to, you know, roll these things out, but talk to our listeners that may be thinking like, what does he mean by, you know, roll, uh, rolling these things, like rolling it out. So you had a first, second and third lender. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I had a first mortgage on them. <clears throat> um, and it was up to 60 or 70% loan to value. Okay. Then I had a blanket or a second mortgage that took care of the 70 to the 80%. So it took care of the other 10%. And then I needed that 80 to the 100. So that's where the third came in. So I had zero money invested in these properties besides lawyer fees and all this other jazz. But what I was able to do was leverage that money and leverage the risk in order to get into the properties. And now I've paid all that out. So when you roll something out, it means rolling it from one lender into another, typically in a favorable manner, right? So if you're in a C or a B, you're rolling into an A. And when you already own a property, usually it's easier to get financing than if you're purchasing because you've proven that you're able to manage it. Uh, you haven't missed any payments, blah, blah, blah. So you, like I said, you, 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 you calculated it all out and then you rolled it into one. So now you have one financer that is just, it's just, it's just one. Just a typical, just typical, a typical mortgage. Financer. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, and then everybody else, you just paid out interest included and all that. And, and uh, they were happy to get their checks. We'll probably do business with you in the future. Absolutely. They, they weren't happy to get their checks because they always got paid on the day when they wanted it. And it was just money in their pocket. Right. So yeah. You know, it sucks for them because they're not making that money. But I know they're there if I need, you know, to borrow some money in the future, well, which you never know. Which will happen, right? I mean, that's the that's business, which will happen. And, you know, and I think that as an investor, it's one of those things too, Nick, that is important to, to recognize and realize that like, yes, they, yeah, they were getting their mailbox money and now it's all paid off and they're not getting it anymore. But they probably like the fact that they were getting it every month, you know? And and so if that's the case, you know, I'm sure they, they took the check happily to, 
you know, to pay out or to get their money back in their account. But you're like, hey, listen, if you want me to redeploy this? Let us know. You know, and, and I can tell by that smirk on your face, you got another offer. You, you already know where that money's going <laughs> in the future. So, and again, you know, networking, right? It goes back to networking. What's the number one most important thing in business? Well, customer service, yes, but networking. People you know, how they know you, and how much they trust you. Because that is how to advance to the next level. Like it. Next question. What is your metric on productivity uh, when you're when it comes to work? This is a great question. And it, it fits in perfectly with like my brand. Because I'm like, work, 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 work. You got to work all these hours, blah, blah, blah. But if you are not working and being productive in those hours, you might better not work them at all. So you need to be there and you need to be putting in the work, but you also need to be prod productive during those hours. So if you're just going there, sitting there, fucking on your phone, do, 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 playing games, whatever, then you're really, you're not, you're not doing anything. You're not moving, moving the forward in the game. So you got to be strategic. And again, you're someone who's super, really, really good at this is knowing going into to the day or the week, knowing what you're going to do and then executing on those tasks as you move, you know, as you move down the board. Now, if you're not, if you're not uh, putting in a hundred hours a week and somebody is just as productive as you, chances are you're not going to get ahead. And I watched a video on, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was, it was talking about Michael Jordan and it's like, there's no question. Michael Jordan is, was the best basketball player of all time. There's no question. It's just stats prove it. Everybody knows that Michael Jordan is the best, was the best period. But why was he the best? Did he have that much more natural talent than everybody else? No. As a matter of fact, he wasn't, besides his size, he wasn't supernaturally gifted. But what he had that most people or that nobody had as much of as him was work ethic. He worked harder than every single other player. And that's why he was the best. Period. Yeah. So, you know, and you, there's a lot to, uh, to, to, to digest here. And, and one of the things that I'll say uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, being uh, a product pr productive at work is, uh, is two things that work for me. One is uh, I, I write down uh, my script and off script every morning. So, or every night before actually, and I review it every morning. And so <clears throat> all the things on my script is the things that I have to do for that day. And I just write them down in no particular order. I just write them down. And as I'm going through my day, I'm knocking them off the list. Anything that, is uh, not on the script. I put it in the category that's off script that just kind of pulls me away from the things that are the most important that I have to get done. And then I accomplish those after I'm done my script. And a good way to do that is a technique that I didn't come up with. It was a technique called the uh, Pomodoro um, effect. And I think it's a Pomodoro effect. It's an Italian name. And anyway, what happens is, is that you set your egg timer on your phone for uh, 50 minute increments and for 50 minutes you work and then for the last 10 minutes of an hour you get up you go for a walk get a stretch things like that and what that does is when you turn your phone over uh, you're not giving the ability and you turn it off 
you're not getting the you're giving or and putting it on the other side of the room or your jacket or your car, whatever it is you have to do. But it's concentrated focus hours of work. And I think that that's allows you to, you know, find that symmetry in your in your life. Right. And 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 so if you're just concentrated on if you're not as disciplined as some people, I can just not answer the phone. I get phone calls a lot during the week or during the day that I look off because uh, I know it's going to be there for a long haul. And usually I have like 85% battery and I, I'll probably run out of battery by the time they're done, uh, by the time they're done talking. So I, I just don't answer it, right? Because I know that I'm not going to be, I don't have that a lot of time for them. So a couple of different techniques, write out your script, which is what you need to accomplish for the day. And then your off script is in the other side of the uh, T quadrant. And then uh, just start knocking it off the list and then move it over to the next day. If you don't get it done, a little quick hack for productivity when it comes to the hour. Work in 50-minute increments. Get up, get a stretch, grab a drink of water, have something to eat, and then uh, and then do it again. You know, and you'll find that your days are pretty productive. So, good insight, Nick, that you uh, that you shared with us there. Thank you. I like that. Yeah. Next one. What's the difference between a hard deadline and a soft deadline? Ooh. I love this fucking question. So my brother and I always talk about this <clears throat> and it's like, because we we're constantly dealing with deadlines and with, 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 um, you know, different, different types of things needing to happen. Okay. And oftentimes we'll talk to, to people. We've got a pretty good team now, but like as you come through the ranks and as you deal with different lawyers and, uh, accountants and stuff like that. Not our ones now, but ones in general. And you say, okay, this is when we need it done by. And they say, okay, is that a hard deadline? And what they mean by that is, is that set in stone? Okay. So a soft deadline is like, well, we'll try to have it done by then. But the thing about that is a deadline's a fucking deadline, people. If we need it done, if I if I come to you, okay, and you're a lawyer, and I say, look, we're closing this deal on November the 9th. And you say, okay, well, you're accepting that fucking deadline. So when we get to November 7th, don't try and push it out to the 10th or 11th because you can't make the deadline. That's the deadline. And we're getting way too relaxed in society where people... They want to just fucking pitter-patter along at their own pace because they, they don't have the hunger and the drive to get shit done. If I say something's going to be done, it gets fucking done, period. I don't care if I'm swimming through a fucking canal filled with alligators. It's getting done because I said it's getting done or I'm dead. Those are the two options. So hard deadline, soft deadline, they don't exist in this fucking mind. There's a deadline, and that's what gets that's what gets made. And if it doesn't, well, then you're on the wrong fucking team. Good. Next question. How did you evolve? How did you evolve your perspective on thinking big? This is a really yeah, interesting question, Nick, because I feel like people have a different. You know, thinking big is such a nuanced term, right? Um, lots of people's interpretation of thinking big is different from other people's interpretation of it. So I'd like to get your perspective on on uh, on thinking big and how did you evolve to have, I know you have 
amazingly huge girls. You can decide if you want to share or not, but um, I know what they are. And, and so how did you get to that level of mindset that, no, my success, because, you know, <clears throat> you wouldn't have a podcast called Cash Rules if you didn't have uh, success. And the reason being, well, I shouldn't say that. Anybody can start a podcast, but you know what you're saying and what you're talking about and you're doing what you're saying. So how did you get to that level of like, yeah, I'm operating at a pretty good level here, but I'm nowhere near where I want to be. How did you get to that evolution of, of your, uh, your thinking? Okay, so let's, just for everybody listening, just to put it in perspective, okay, I'm going to ask you a question about me, and I want you to be 100% honest. The first time that we spoke, and, well, not the first time, but the first few conversations we spoke, what was your interpretation of how big I would think about business? Uh, I... That's a good question. Loaded question because I know the answer. But when I was first talking to you, my thought process was um, hustler, you know, busy guy, wants to manage assets. Uh, I would say that you want a number. Yeah, just to put it in perspective, because I'm. I'm well, I would say, I, yeah, I, I would say if he had about ten million under uh, under management, that would be a, a good. That would be something that I thought that you were you were looking to do. I had no idea what you had at the time. So that's what I was thinking. So is it safe to say you thought of me like a big thinker? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought like for me, those were numbers that I thought were big thinking numbers for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so people would look at me and think that I was this big dreamer, big thinker, big, somebody who, who wanted all this stuff. Okay. So I thought of myself the same way. And then I met one of my mentors. And he says to me, listen, you've got a few meat shops. You've got this real estate stuff. What's your plans with it? So I would tell him and, you know, we would have open conversation about business development. And he said, well, why don't you open a thousand of them? Why don't we open them in the States and in Canada? Why don't we open 10,000? And I'm like, what? Like, I don't have the money to open 10,000. And he's like, forget about the money. Don't think about the money. One, is it a good idea? And if it is a good idea, two, how do we execute? Fuck the money. We'll get the money. There's an abundance of money in the world. This is what people don't realize. There is so much money, it's ridiculous. If you need money, you can get money. Like, it's that's what's so crazy about why there's so much poverty. There's so much money out there. You just need to get it. So he's like, forget about the money. Is it a good idea? How are we going to execute it? Then when you figure that out, we'll get the money and we'll do it. And that blew my fucking mind open because here I'm thinking of like, you know, I've got these goals and blah, 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 and a hundred million, 500 million, a billion, like woohoo. This guy's thinking billions and trillions like, and now I'm like, I'm exposed to this and I'm like, this is possible. Like this is, I'm a guy from Belleville 
who, who didn't grow up with a whole ton of stuff. Okay. Had a roof over my head, had food, whatever. But now like, like I'm exposed to this, to this massively successful guy presenting these huge ideas and saying, you can do this. You can do this. Imagine the fucking liberation you feel when somebody of that, that you look up to like that, tells you that you can do that. It's fucking unreal. And from the second we had that conversation until fucking now, that drives me because I know I can do anything. So my perspective on thinking big was big and now it's unlimited. Mm-hmm. I can do any idea. And if we um, know how to execute it properly and don't just blow our fucking brains out, I can do anything. Anybody can do anything because I'm not special. There's nothing special about me. I'll just work really, really, really hard and I'll give up life to work. Okay. So if you're willing to do to for that trade-off for the short term, because it's not forever, but if you're willing to make that trade-off, you are capable of anything in your life. I fucking promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know that, that that's that's powerful insight. I guess the question that remains is: is that something that is appealing to you, right? And for some people, it is. <clears throat> for other people, it's not. And I, I think that there's a, uh, a you know a dichotomy between understanding okay is this something that i want to sacrifice uh my my livelihood or my or, or my, my life my you know my family things like that for this in the short term so i can get these astronomical gains or am i happy just doing it you know kind of plodding along and doing my thing which there's no wrong answer and i think you're a believer in that <clears throat> that you can decide how you want to live your life you're not sitting there saying your way is the only way but your way is the way that you use to uh to make it so that you're you're that successful if you want to be successful you know, you're going to have to put in the time and the effort. So very well, interesting. People wanna, they want, they love it. Everybody loves the idea. Yeah. Like everybody wants all this stuff and everybody wants to be successful and everybody wants to be famous, but nobody wants to be fucking Denzel Washington before he was fucking famous doing a bunch of shitty ass fucking musicals on Broadway in order to get his big break. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. being the fucking French fucking Butler when he could barely speak French or whatever the fuck that story is. Nobody wants to be that Denzel Washington. They want to be Denzel Washington today, right? Because he's the fucking man. But all of that shit that he had to go through and all the sacrifices he made are what makes Denzel today. And that's why he's the man. And that's why he can give advice. And that's why he's successful and such a great actor because he's done these things. And it's the same in business, like waking up, getting up early, putting in all this work. All this stuff equips you for the man or the woman that you're going to be tomorrow. And you better make fucking sure that when you get to that point in your life, that you're going to be fucking proud of yourself and everybody around you is going to be proud. Yeah. Yeah, it's what you do in the unseen hours, right? That I think is, it, it goes without saying, because we're so um, versed to giving it one of these, like, oh, look at me, I'm sweating. Yeah. You know, I'm doing my, <laughs> sweating, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, you're, 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 and it's funny, right? Because I, I I know I get heat all the time from, from some, like, friend friends of mine. You're like, oh, you're always posting your workouts. I was like, I post my workouts once in a while. I don't do it every single day. 
but I do work out every almost every day. You know what I mean? Like it's the unseen yeah. stuff. You, you're seeing a lot. Of, you've seen what I show you, but there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff that people don't see with you know people who uh, who are doing things. So good good answer. Uh, next question, last one here. Can you shed light on navigating operating a small business, specifically on government loans? Yeah. So number one, don't take no for an answer, period. If your idea is good, if your business is good and you believe in your business, you never take no for an answer, period. Because you're going to hear no a thousand fucking times. You're going to hear a thousand no's to one yes. So you got to go into the banks. You got to go into these government loan places. And and there's great ones in, in at least in our area. And you've got to, you've got to, you know, articulate and give professional presentations about your business and why it's good and, and get help and put business plans together and, and think big. Okay. Think big. Because when, when we started Gilmore's in, in Harrowsmith, we were going to be 1000 square foot shop. You know, we were only going to rent in the building that we now own. We were going to rent a thousand square feet, you know, and then we were like, oh, maybe we'll do 2,000. We ended up taking 5,000. And I can tell you with the utmost certainty, we probably didn't have a, enough to pay first and last rent for that entire 5,000. But knew it was a good idea, okay? And you made the money, then you paid the rent, and it was like a cat and mouse game until you get ahead of the, the ball. But you got to go into these places, and you got to be smart. You got to network, and you got you to gotta meet people. Okay, because the banks when this these government agencies or these government uh, these government like community government small business loan places, they're going to lend on you as a person and you as an operator. Right. You need a good plan and you need you need legs to the idea, but you also have to be a good operator and have to be a good person. And if you're not, then they'll just flush the idea immediately. Right. So go in, don't take no for an answer. Don't be afraid to shop shop it around. Don't be afraid to negotiate. Don't just take what they give you. If you need more money, tell them you need more money. If the interest rate's too high, tell them the interest rate's too high. If you need three months of non-payment at the start, tell them that. These things are up for negotiation. Okay, so don't ever just take what they give you if it doesn't suit what you need. You know your business better than anybody else. Okay, so go in, get the loans you need, and grow. And don't ever forget, you need to fucking work your nuts off in order to get ahead. So it's not like you're going to get a loan and then just explode. You get a loan, and then the work gets real hard. Because then you got another overhead cost. Yeah, you got to meet that every month, right? You know, exactly. and, and what I would say too is, and I know we get these questions a lot. It's like, how do you, you know, develop small businesses and things like that? Most people, and a lot of people are so quick to um, outsource it and, and things like when you're starting and, and your name is on the line when it comes to your business and it comes to having to pay back that loan and things like that, then I would suggest that you do the best you can to learn all the different aspects of your business. And, you know, if that means you have to do the, the Facebook posts or go Facebook live or, or Instagram, I'm just using words like as far as platforms, there's a million out there. You do what one's best for you and your business. But if you have to do it on your own for a while before you're at a point where um, you need to you need to, to to outsource it because you're scaling and your, your your time needs to go to where you're an expertise, 
I would say that what you do is you make yourself up a schedule and allocate specific amount of time. This is the stuff I'm going to do for my social media. <clears throat> and I'm going to, I'm going to post it all in one day or, or schedule it all for one day and then go back and, and do a couple authentic posts a day or, or whatever it is that you need to do. But like schedule the time for it, right? And then when you look at your 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 schedule and you look at your how far you've come in your business and you start to make more money and you're not enough time, then you start to, you know, um, then you start to contract it out to gig economists, the people that are experts in social media and developing content. So you can focus on the core values and the core, you know, the core um, money making things for your business, right? So I think the big thing is when people get money in the bank right away, especially in loans and things, they're like, okay, now I can go and like, you know, and hire people out. Yes, maybe that is the case in some cases, but the reality of it is, is I would suggest that you do, especially if you're a small business owner, do the job and then see what you need to um, uh, contract out so that you can focus on what your your business is, what you're you're good at making money at. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a firm believer and you got to understand how every cog in that system works. Like if you're not You've got to you've got to work your way through the entire business. If you haven't worked in a specific part or don't understand it, I don't mean necessarily, you know, executing the physical labor in order to to do that job, but you need to understand it. Because if you don't understand a specific part of that business, then ultimately you're going to get taken advantage of by an employee or somebody unknowingly who who isn't doing it efficiently. So you as the boss or you as the leader, you need to educate everybody best you can in order to give them the tools, equip them with the tools to do the job. And you got to lead from the top. You got to lead by example. You got to understand every cog in the wheel. Um, and don't think you're going to hire people right at the start because you're not. And if you think that, you're going to go to zero with a bullet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, it's smart to, to you move. If you want to move to, if you want to move, you know, if you move well or, or fast, you want to move methodically, right? And, yeah. and learn the different aspects of the video or of the video of the uh, of the business, and you'll you'll get to that that level. All right, let's get into rant time. This has been a, a deep diving um, uh, episode today. We've, we've did some, uh, you know, lots of lots of ends of the spectrum, some high high level things, and some uh, some 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 good good tips for beginners and, and things like that. So if you're liking what you hear, toss us a like. You know that uh, you know you want to. Um, and we are we are playing on uh, iTunes, any, any iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find um, plat or wherever you find uh, find. Speaking is hard. Wherever you find podcasts, uh, you'll be able to see our mugs and our voices there. So. Follow us on YouTube, or on Instagram, Facebook, things like that, whatever. Uh, Nick does a great job at putting the stuff out. And uh, if you'd like more of this content, we are, are here to serve. Ask the questions. Uh, I know we get uh, several of them a week. We try to get to most of them during the uh, the, the show, but we obviously are, are, you know, can't be a five-hour show every day because, uh, you know, we're busy trying to, to do good things so that we can come back with some good stories um, for you and some good learning lessons as well. So, uh, yeah, if you want to connect, reach out. Uh, we'll get back to you unless it's something ignorant and ridiculous. And if that's the case, then uh, write it on your note, put it on your doormat, and I'll come back and get it at some point. But don't tell me your address because I don't care. All right, so here we go. We're going to get into uh, rant time here. Uh, this is a, a fun part of the show where uh, Nick <clears throat> goes off on uh, something that I ask him. And uh, when he goes off, it's not necessarily a positive thing or a negative thing. It's just uh, his, his views. And Nick, as we know, 
uh, has some very strong opinions from a lot of things. And uh, we're going to go from there. But today we're only going to ask you one question. It's a two-parter, but one question. Uh, well, two, two parts to this one question. Uh, a little bit lighthearted. I know uh, that my co-host here has a birthday coming up. And so I want to ask you, with Valentine's Day just around the corner and your birthday just around the corner corner, which is a week almost after Valentine's Day. So for those of you that wonder when Nick's birthday is, give him a happy birthday around the 20th. I'm not going to tell you the date exactly, <laughs> but uh, give him a happy birthday. Nick, I want to get your interpretation on a couple of things. One, what's your... Uh, what is your interpretation of Valentine's Day and working or not working on your birthday? And go. Oh, fuck. Here's the thing. Like, it's all fine and dandy to enjoy these days off and enjoy these fucking, you know, Valentine's Day and Family Day and all this other fucking made-up holidays. Yes, we need to enjoy time with family and yes, yes, we need, we need to, we need to, we need to be there. Okay. But understand this people, when you are starting to feel entitled to having time off and, oh, I don't need to work on fucking Valentine's day or I don't need to work on my fucking birthday. Like, do you know how many times I, oh, I want to take my birthday off. Get fucked. Like, you need to understand that you have to work these things to get ahead. Stop trying to fucking make excuses why you don't have to work. Like, oh, it's your birthday. Who gives a flying fuck? Congratulations. Right? Like, if you're, if you're somebody who's, who's truly working to get ahead and you've said that, then you really don't want to get ahead. You just want excuses not to work. Right. So if if you if you find yourself falling into this and I'm just going to blanket statement this, if you find yourself falling into, you know, the the trap of making excuses why you can't do things, they're non-negotiable. It's not like you go and it's it, you do it when you're comfortable. OK, like you get up, you fucking go to work. You execute and you do what's necessary every fucking day. You don't just decide that one day you're not going to do it. It's not negotiable. Success is a destination and there's a roadmap to there. And excuses don't lie on that fucking roadmap. And if you're the person who's going to fucking deploy excuses in order to fucking get time off, get fucked you will go to zero with a bullet. I'm Nick Foley. He's Nick Gilmore. This, Cash Rules.